Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your power and your strength. Father, we gather to remember that you are the one who gives us every breath. You are the one who holds the universe together. Father, we sin and you bring forgiveness. We wonder and you pursue us. Our lives are broken and you hold them together. There's noise and chaos all around us. And God, you whisper hope and peace and joy into our lives. And so, Father, we gather remembering that, declaring that. And, Father, we pray that you would work that power within us this morning. And, God, you would send us out transformed by your word and by your spirit so we can be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 1. We're beginning a series in Colossians this summer, and Colossians is when you get into your New Testament, which is that second half of your Bible, you get into letters written by a man named Paul, and there's a couple of longer letters there at the beginning, and then you get to a series of letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. If you have trouble remembering those four books in a row, it's G-E-P-C, The way you remember that is go eat pork chops. Um, And if you know what those books are about, you know why you remember it in that way. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat pork chops because you are set free in Christ to go eat pork chops. Um, So we're going to begin to look at Colossians together together. this, this morning, and we're going to run through this uh, during the summer. Because it's the summer months, we don't have our Elevate Children's Church during the summer, and so like I always say, parents, there is no shame, no judgment, anything. If you need to use the lobby, uh, we always say if your kid gets fussy or your spouse gets fussy, go to the lobby. There is no shame in that. We, we know what it's like to bring kids uh, into the room. We want them to be here They're shaped by what they see. They're learning even when they don't think they're learning. And so just know it's good that they're in here. We don't have children's church during the summer, but we want you to be able as a family uh, to worship together. Teenagers, young adults, the content of this morning's sermon is so important for the world that you're growing up in. I just want you to know that you guys do a great job engaging with God's word on a weekly basis, but, but... what we're going to talk about this morning is, is so key for understanding the world that you're growing up in. Colossians chapter 1 is the material that the kids are going to be learning in Vacation Bible School. So before we get into these verses, I want to show you the memory verse on the screen that your kids are going to be learning in Vacation Bible School. It's a pretty long verse this year. Uh, it's Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. And because the kids are doing this verse this week in Vacation Bible School, we're going to make this our focus of the sermon this morning. But I also want you to be able to see that. And we're going to say this verse out loud. I hope that you as parents and grandparents, aunts, uncles, godparents, that you will work to memorize this verse along with your kids this week. Uh, Chances are they're going to do better than you're going to do. So just accept that up front. They're going to memorize better than you do. uh, But... Challenge yourself to learn this along with your kids. The best way to learn it is this first works really well in sets of two. You kind of learn those first two lines together as an introduction. And then the middle section has phrases of two words that fit together. And then you get down to the end and there's a conclusion. 
But just because of the power of God's word, I want us to say this out loud together. So I'm going to count to three. I know that's cheesy, but it's the best way to start. I'm going to count to three, and I just want us as God's people to speak this verse out loud, knowing that our kids are going to learn it this week. So here we go. One, two, three. He is... All right, let's look at the beginning of Colossians chapter 1. Help your kids learn that in sets of two, and it, it really fits together well as you start to put it together. Colossians chapter 1 begins like this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Four times there in the opening words of Colossians, Paul is emphasizing Christ. This whole book is going to be about looking to the things of Christ. You've seen this map a couple of weeks in a row if you were with us during the Philemon series because the book of Philemon in your New Testament is tied closely to the book of Colossians in your New Testament. They were delivered together. There's a lot of similarities in content. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, all five of those books swim in the same waters of the New Testament. But Colossae is in southwest modern-day Turkey, in the Bible, it's usually called Asia Minor, but Colossae is in this valley of where these rivers come together, and there were three towns there. There was Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. If you read the book of Revelation, at the end of the New Testament, it's going to mention Laodicea there. Hierapolis is another place that was located there. What you have, and this is so crucial to understand in the book of Colossians, what you have there in that area of the ancient world is you have a mixing of religions. You have old school paganism, worshiping the things of the world, worshiping the created things. You have a lot of pagan beliefs. You have some Jewish influence that has worked itself into this part of the world. You have the beginnings of what will later be called Gnosticism. We're too early in world history to call this full-blown Gnosticism. It, it's on its way to what would later be known as that. Then you have these elements of Christianity that are starting to work in there. Imagine living in a world of many religions mixed together. How strange would that be? Oh wait, that's the world in which we live. All of these different ideas, all of these different backgrounds, all of these different faith traditions, all of these different spiritual powers and beings coming together there, and the gospel of Jesus Christ has come to this area and this church has been established, and it's been established based on the will of Christ, it's been established in Christ, it's under Christ, it's because of faith in Christ, and so Paul is going to come back over and over and over again to this idea of if you are going to know what it is to be made right with God, if you're going to know what it is to worship God, you're going to look to Christ because he is superior and he is sufficient. We're going to get to those two words in just a second. On the back of your bulletin, those are going to be our two main points this morning if you like to follow along in that way. But Christ is superior, nothing is above him, and Christ is sufficient. You don't need anything 
beyond him. And so Paul is going to establish that in the book of Colossians. What he's going to say is all of these spiritual ideas are around you, but if you want to find life, look to Christ. This is that idea from the Old Testament of when those snakes were coming through the camp, the people had sinned, they were being, I I hate any stories involving snakes, so I hesitate to even tell the story, but uh, they were being bit by these snakes and they were facing death, and so Moses makes this bronze snake, puts it up on a pole, and tells the people, look up at that bronze serpent, look to that and you will be healed. Now that becomes the foundation for the story of Jesus. You get to John chapter three, and Jesus says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. The way you have salvation, the way you have true life, is when you look to Jesus. When you see him raised up and you say, he is the only one. The wages, the payment for my sin is death. They were bitten by the snakes, they faced death. We were bitten by sin, we faced death. The result of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look to him in your sin, when you look to him in your brokenness, when you look to him in your death, you find life. And so Paul is going to establish that for the people. And he's going to establish it because Jesus is superior and Jesus is sufficient. What do we mean by superior? Number one under superior is that Jesus is superior over all creation. Look down in verse 15. This is the verse that we're memorizing this week. And this is the verse that we just read together uh, a moment ago. Skip down to verse 15. Verses 15 through 20 may look different if you have a printed copy. I'm not sure how it shows up in your phone if you're looking on your phone, but if you have a printed copy, it's probably going to have different font. It's going to look different on the page from verses 15 to 20 because a lot of scholars think this is a hymn or some sort of poem that either Paul has borrowed or he's writing a hymn, he's writing a poem himself. Look how he starts. He says that he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him. And then you skip down to the end of that. All things have been created through him and for him. If you're a Bible underliner, I want you to see two phrases in in that set of verses. The first is the phrase, image of the invisible God. What does it mean that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? The word image there is the Greek word, icon. Now, if you grew up in any type of a Catholic background or especially a Greek Orthodox background, the idea of an icon is is very common. It's this image that's meant to represent a reality, a spiritual reality. And the idea here is Jesus is the image. He's the representation. He's the visible picture of who God is. So when we look to Jesus, we know who God is. God is creator, God is judge, God is savior. God is good, God is wise, God is loving, God is powerful. All of those things true about God are true as we see them in Jesus. He represents, he's the image of the invisible God. But you might say, you know what, Owen? In Genesis chapter one, at the beginning of the Bible, doesn't it say that we're made in the image of God? So what makes us any different than Jesus? You're saying Jesus is superior 
but we're made in the image of God. Here's the distinction. Jesus is the image of God. We are made in the image of God. Jesus is the sun, we're the moon. Jesus is the word of God. We are the ones who proclaim and display the word. Jesus is the one who makes God known to us. He is the true image bearer of God. We are able to be shaped into the image of God. And so Jesus is superior. He is the image of God. When you see Jesus, you see God. This is the answer to the promise at Jesus' birth that he would be Emmanuel. That Christmas song, kids, that you've seen at Christmas, Emmanuel, that word means God with us. God with us means image of the invisible God. He has made known to us who God is. The second phrase there is it says, he is the firstborn over all creation. Or some translations will say he's the firstborn of all creation. Now certain religious groups, when they look at this verse, they will say that this verse shows that Jesus is a created being. As the son of God, that the Son of God is not eternally God, but was at some point created. Now you start to tread in some pretty deep theological waters here, but they become very important because you're having a debate at this point about is the Son of God truly God in all of eternity, or was the Son of God a created being, somehow lower than God the Father? What does it mean, firstborn over all creation? Firstborn can mean exactly what it sounds like, the firstborn into a family. But firstborn was also a common phrase in the ancient world for superiority, for a title of being supreme. Let me show you some examples in the Old Testament. You can jot these down. They'll be up on the screen. Psalm chapter 89, verse 27. God says, I will make him, referring to David, my servant, I will make him the firstborn. So someone could be made the firstborn in the sense of being given this, uh, this appointment of superiority, the highest of the kings of the earth. Jeremiah 31, 9. I am a father to Israel and Ephraim, who is actually the younger son biologically to another guy named Manasseh, but Ephraim is my firstborn. So firstborn doesn't necessarily mean firstborn into a family. Firstborn is a title of superiority. So it's saying Jesus is supreme over all creation. Not that he was the first created being, but that he is supreme. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He stands as superior over all creation. And you might say, Owen, but aren't you just padding your own argument? Aren't you just arguing in your own favor? You're just, you're dealing from this idea of you're just reinforcing your identity. Look back though in Colossians chapter one. Look back at those verses that we just saw. Verse 16, everything was created by him. So we know that Jesus as the son of God is not a created being because it says everything was created by him. All things, at the end of verse 16, all things have been created through him and for him. So we see here this idea, even in Hebrews chapter 1, that verse that's on the bottom of the screen, God has appointed his son, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. So God's son was not created, but God's son, Jesus Christ, stands as superior over all creation. What does that mean? Why does that matter? Well, on your notes, I put down this idea. It means 
that science can never be supreme. Jesus is supreme. But let me explain that phrase, because I'm just not happy with that phrase. I, I wasn't sure how to explain in a few words in the back of the bulletin what I want to say here, because it could sound like I'm downplaying science. Science is a good gift from a good God, so that we are able to study and know the world that God has created. Kids, teenagers, young adults, we desperately need Christians to be engaged in the sciences. We need you to follow those STEM careers. We need you to engage understanding God's world, but doing it from a perspective that you're not worshiping the science, but you're worshiping the creator of all things. And so you're able to engage with these things and say, you know what? Jesus is supreme over all creation. And he has given us this world so that we can live in it fully as his people. And so we're going to engage with it, not making the sciences supreme, but saying those are a gift from God because Jesus is supreme. So I want to be really clear in that idea. This week at Vacation Bible School, the kids are going to be galactic starveyors. That's a hard phrase to say. But they're going to learn that as you look at creation, you're able to know who God is. And as you look at his word, you're able to know how he works in our lives. So kids, students, teenagers, young adults, yes, engage the sciences, but do it from a Christian perspective that says that Jesus is supreme over all creation. Second, we know that Jesus is superior over all spiritual power. This is 1B, if you're following along in your notes. Jesus is superior over all spiritual power. Look in the middle of verse 16 just for a second. In the middle of verse 16, after it says that Jesus created all things, it says that everything was created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Later on in Colossians chapter 2, when we get to that part in, in July, it says, Be careful that no one takes you captive based on the elemental forces of the world. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on the worship of angels. There was a huge debate in this area about which spiritual powers were the greatest. Kids, how many of you have played King of the Mountain? Or maybe adults, how many of you played King of the Mountain before? Yeah. So you climb to the top of the mountain, and you try to see who can stay on the top of the mountain, and you push everybody else down as they're trying to get up there. The area that I grew up in, in southwest Oklahoma, the county and state road crews would pile up the gravel for their projects behind our house. And so my brothers and I would go out there and climb these huge gravel piles and when you're a kid and you climb a pile and someone's coming up at you, it's just the right thing to do at that point, to push them back down the pile, to make sure they don't get to the top of the pile. And so there's this king of the mountain idea. The people in Colossae want to play king of the mountain with spiritual powers. Which spiritual power is the greatest? Is it this or this or this? And Paul comes along and says, Jesus isn't playing king of the mountain. He created the mountain. He is superior over all other spiritual powers. This is not a comparison game. This is a recognition that Jesus is greater than all other spiritual powers. So you don't have Jesus plus I need to tap into X. Teenagers, this is what I meant earlier when I said this sermon is so important. You are living in a world where you're encouraged to find your truth. When you're encouraged to tap into your spiritual power. It's not about your truth. It's not about your spiritual power. It's about who truly has all power. 
And the book of Colossians is realizing that Jesus is superior. He is superior over all creation, and he is superior over all spiritual powers. So what's the result of that? Spirituality can never be supreme. Here's the funny thing about the world we live in. The world we live in is pretty anti-religious, especially religious institutions. What we're doing here is just so far off the radar screen for most people. The idea that you'd be a part of some sort of established, it may be a million miles off the radar screen for you to be here this morning in a church setting like this, but we live in a world that's incredibly spiritual. So people aren't very interested in religion, generally speaking, you can find evidence of that, but they're very interested in spirituality. But if you come along and claim that there's a spiritual power above all else, now you've really spoken words that are gonna get you pushed off to the side. The book of Colossians says, though, that Jesus is superior over all spiritual powers. This idea of spirituality often works in the arts. And so earlier, I told you, make sure we engage with the sciences, but do it from a Christian perspective. I would say just as strongly, kids, teenagers, and adults, make sure we engage with the arts, but do it from a Christian perspective. We need Christians who are involved in the arts, just like we need Christians involved in the sciences, but from the perspective that Jesus is superior. So point number one, Jesus is superior. Point number two, Jesus is sufficient. Why does it matter that you're making this big deal that Jesus is over all things? Well, the result of him being over all things is that he is sufficient to save. Colossians chapter one, verse 13. These are the verses that lead into into this hymn. Look back in verse 13 just for a second in your phone or your Bible. God has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. We've been established in the kingdom of Christ. In him we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Why does it matter that Jesus is superior? Because he's superior, your sins are able to be completely forgiven. You don't turn to Jesus and then earn the forgiveness of your sins. You turn to Jesus and you find complete forgiveness of sins. Please don't forget this idea about forgiveness in Christianity. Forgiveness, Christianity, is not about getting a second chance at life. You know what we would do? Sometimes we say, man, I wish I just had a second chance at life. I would do so much better. No, you wouldn't. Neither would I do. We wouldn't, if left to our own devices, if all we needed was another shot at life, we would still screw it up. We don't need a second chance, we need new life. And so forgiveness, Christianity, is not about saying, God, please give me another shot at this. It's saying, God, I'm a sinner and I desperately need the life that only you can give and you are sufficient to save because you are above all others. I don't turn to you and then have to earn something. I turn to you and I find complete and total salvation. Your greatest deed in life is not another shot at life, it's life itself and that only comes through Jesus. He's sufficient to save and better than that, it's not just a one-time reality, it's ongoing. To be on your notes is not that he's sufficient to to save, but also sufficient to sustain. He saves you, and then he continues to sustain, sustain you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Write that verse, stick it on your mirror in the morning, 
Put it on the middle of your steering wheel. When you say my life is falling apart, you look to Colossians 1.17 and you say, and he holds all things together. Because there's a good chance sometime this week you're gonna look around and say my life is falling apart. It feels like everything's crumbling. If your life's not falling apart, you know someone whose life is falling apart. Or you live in a world that seems to be falling apart. And he holds all things together. Verse 18, he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. There's a great verse, Philippians 1.6, that says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. One of the things that seemed to be happening in Colossae in the ancient world is people were turning to Jesus and then they were continuing with all their other spiritual practices so they would find the power that they needed for life. Christianity is we turn to Jesus and we find everything we need for salvation and everything we need for life. He saves us and he sustains us. Jesus is superior. He's superior over all creation and he's superior over all spiritual powers. Because he's superior, he's sufficient. He is sufficient to save you completely. No matter your past, no matter your present circumstances, no matter what you're scared to death of in the future, he will save you and he will sustain you. And in a world of chaos, in a world of uncertainty, that brings peace and hope and finality. On the cross, Jesus said what? It is finished. There's nowhere else you need to look. You look away from your sins and you look to me and you will find life. I pray that you know that hope. I pray that you know that life. I pray that you know that Jesus is able and willing to save and sustain you. How do we respond to God's word? I put a couple of options on the bottom of your notes. Is there anything that attracts your worship above or in addition to Jesus? What draws your attention, what draws your gaze and you become fixated on that other than the things of Christ? This is what we talked about earlier with the science and the arts. Do you find yourself looking primarily to the science or do you find yourself engaged in that because God is so good? Do you find yourself mainly looking to the arts or do you do those because good God is beautiful and right and true? What do you look to in life? Do you look to Christ? Because if you look to him, he will set all things in the right place. Number two, how does my life show that I value Jesus above all else? If someone looked at your life, would they say that person values the things of Christ above everything else? Christ is superior, Christ is sufficient, or do we live lives that look like we're running around looking for other spiritual power? Do we live lives where we look like we're running around looking for something else or someone else to sustain us? No, Christ is sufficient for that. Number three, how does our church display Jesus as superior and sufficient? I love Jim Lehu for many, many reasons, but one of the reasons I love him the most is because I have seen in that man a desire that our church would not just do good things in the community, that we've done that and we've done it really well, not just that we would have a good name in the community, though we do and we thank God for that. His heart, the things he talks about during the week, the things he wants to do 
is so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed in our community. That people would know that we care, and we care because we want to point them to Christ. Not because we want to add to our seats, not because we want to add to our list, because we want them to have life. Because if you look anywhere else, any other spiritual power, any other source of life, it won't be superior and it won't be sufficient. But if you look to Christ, you will find life and you will find life eternal. We're gonna pray. After we pray, we're gonna sing a song called In Christ Alone. Your greatest response today is to sing that song with all your heart, with all your soul. If you need someone to pray with you, we wanna be able to do that during this time. If you need to talk to someone about the things of Christ, if you need to talk to someone about questions of faith, in your seat back is a blue or green card, a prayer card. Your response during the, this time, while people are singing, might be that you fill that card out and say, I need to talk to someone about faith. It takes courage to admit that, it takes courage to take that step, but we want you to be able to do that. Fill that card out, and when the offering plate is passed around in about five minutes, you'll be able to put that card in there, and we will get in touch with you, because do not leave this morning without establishing that Jesus is superior and Jesus is sufficient. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I think about the kids going to Vacation Bible School this week. I think about these teenagers that are so engaged with your word and with the things of Christ, and they are growing up in a world where the idea that anything would be superior, that anything would be above something else is, is just completely pushed to the side. They're encouraged to find their own truth. They're encouraged to find their own way. God, I pray that you would establish deep in their hearts that Jesus is superior and Jesus is sufficient. And then, God, I pray that you would set them on a course to proclaim the name of Jesus in the sciences, to proclaim the name of Jesus in the arts, to proclaim the name of Jesus in their house. God, may we be a church that proclaims and displays Jesus because it's in Christ alone that we find hope and life and salvation. Father, we declare that together this morning.